Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, What's Your Name Again? This is your host, Kirk Caceres, with music by Jason Charles Miller. We're here talking about the Hollywood machine. Everyone I bring on the show each has long careers in the business and the experience to back it up. From actors, directors, producers, and casting. We talk about the inner workings of Hollywood from behind the closed doors and within the dark hallways that most have never stepped foot from casting couches to producer sessions, first-class flights to being a local hire. I created this show to help the actor who is considering getting into the business, the new actor who just arrived into town, or the old vet just needing to reignite that flame of inspiration. This is episode two of a three-part session with actor Ray Gallegos, El Rey, as we call him, the king. Here now on What's Your Name Again? weights or done dips <laughs> no 70 way. years old 71 years old dude the guy is a machine right yeah. so we're shooting in the middle of morocco you get out there you see him walking around he's eyeballing the scene he's got two hands in his pocket he's looking around there's no gaffers around there's no electrical running you just suddenly see the steady suit up cameras go on they kind of walk towards you you know what you're supposed to be shooting you haven't rehearsed the scene. Oh, wow. This is freaking awesome, dude. Okay, so specifically, there's <laughs> a sequence intense. in American Sniper when I bring all the boys to one apartment, and we catch a family upstairs. We sit down with them, and we eat their food. Then we end up on that little raid of the uh, store below. In that sequence, we were sitting in the courtyard, and all you know, the, we were wearing a lot of gear for the Navy SEAL stuff. Helmets, you know, the night vision goggles, the a gun vest, the bulletproof vest, the uh, you know the drop the drop kit for handguns. You and got, it's as oh, heavy and as hot as it looks. It's it can be. You yeah. know, I mean, you're not carrying 50 pounds with a real plate on your chest, but yeah. you're carrying some stuff. And you're, if you're not used to doing that, you get a real quick appreciation for Navy SEALs because they spend most of their lives with their weapons above their heart. Mm. So just think about constantly holding a 14 pound gun above your heart and then breathing enough to get the blood up into your brain wow. and into your limbs. 
control your thinking. It's really pretty deep. But anyway, so we're shooting the sequence and we're all sitting in the courtyard and all of our gear is sitting next to us. Mm -hmm. And we're all just bullshitting and I see the steady suit up and I'm like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and they strap up. Now we're a couple weeks in, so I've figured it out, right? We've all figured it out. And uh, I see them suit up. You said steady, steady cam. The steady cam guys, just yeah. For people watching, I always have to clarify because yeah, we yeah. know like the quick terminology. You but... are dropping a lot of terminology. Oh, sorry, used. sorry. No, this is good, good because I'm able to teach the yeah, people. Yeah. So when he says the steady suiting up, that means the steady cam operator. Steady cam operator is the guy who's on the mobile camera and he's putting the gear on. He's getting ready to roll, and he noticed this. And what happened? Yeah, I I notice uh, all the boys notice. We pick up right away, and I think we probably mostly picked up on Dauber. So Kevin Latz, who played himself in the movie, the the big big Navy SEAL who played Dauber, he was part of SEAL Team Three with Chris Kyle, uh, and he got to be part of the movie because he was the advisor to Bradley Cooper. Uh, and then Cooper loved him, put him in the movie. So I noticed Dauber had been on me from day one because somebody overslept in the hotel. And he literally chewed my ass out like these guys were my responsibility because I was the SEAL team leader. Oh, wow. An actor. Yes. He chewed me out when I got to set and asked cool. me where the other fucking actor like was. Like, you should why be leading them call. off he set. Goes, you should be call you should phone call every single fucking one of those guys when you wake up in the morning okay. and make sure they're up. Okay. Right. So I see his eyes kind of light up. I look over, see them. I look at Eric. I look at the boys and we're like, OK, let's go. Suit up, suit up. So we all start suiting up and they just shoot the prep. Take the boys around the corner. We get in formation. We do all the hand drills. We start moving everybody forward. Creep, creep, creep. We get into the house, go all the way up to the door, breach in. We breach in. The steadies come in with us. Clint's behind them, hands in pockets, just looking at us. So we keep talking, keep rapping, keep moving shit. We got the window. Are you improving so, right at this all point? All of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All, all of it at this point, right? So he finally gets to a sequence in there that he thinks is enough. And that's usually what you hear from him is that's enough. And now you're four and a half minutes in mm -hmm. to a scene that was a blurb on the page about you walking <laughs> up a set of stairs. It's a bunch of dialogue. And he goes, okay, that's enough. And then he walks out and they come back in and he and some of you will say, all right, so we're going to do some food stuff. Okay. Same thing. Steady comes in, clip, you start sitting down. We know we're supposed to have this conversation, so we just start the conversation over dinner. Just keep going. Clint says, that's enough. We get to the last sequence in the apartment where everybody's looking out over the window. And in the middle of the roll, he comes up and walks in front of everybody with a yellow gel. Uh, a gel, for everybody listening, is a filtered light uh, piece of film that goes over any lighting to change the texture or the lighting in the room. It's a thin piece of right. paper, paper like, translucent. Really. So it's it's yellow, like a deep yellow. And he comes in and he clips it to the... Uh, Clint's doing this. Clint does this. He comes in and he clips it to the uh, foot, to the foot lamps below us. And he starts wobbling the film back and forth. Mm -hmm. And the yellow light now translates into almost a campfire glow underneath right. us. And he just sits there while we finish the scene. Then he gets up and walks out and he goes, that's enough. <laughs> and then we just go shoot other <laughs> shit. And one night we were sitting in the middle of the desert and I walked up to him. He was sitting on the flatbed of a Humvee and I sat next to him. I said, Clint, I got to I gotta ask you this. How the fuck? This is honestly what I said. I got, How the fuck did you get to this part? of your career where you don't say action, you don't say cut, you don't rehearse the lines, there are no marks, nothing. 
And he said, in all my years of directing, I realized that I had done what most directors do. And you dream about what you want it to look like. Then you come to set and you guinea pig the actor. You guinea pig the crew and you go try this, try this, try that till something pops off. He said, in all my years, what I've really learned is, is if I meet someone and like the way they sound when they talk and I believe them, that I should just put them in front of the camera and let them be who they are. Wow. So he goes, so that is... go be Ray. And he pushed me off the truck. I was like, that that is okay. <laughs> that's like some biblical type. It was stuff it was right there, bananas. I mean, we we, sh- we shot three scenes: a wedding, a cake, a toast, a phone call, a bachelor drunken thing. Our call time was noon in Marina del Rey. We shot all the sequences one take each time, and our wrap time was like three forty-five, and everybody was on the way to a bar. It was the weirdest thing, man. It was really, that, really bizarre. And for everybody watching, like this, this right here, this is the rare experience because in Hollywood it usually works very systematic. Mm-hmm. You know, they block, they set up. This right. and, and Clint Eastwood has a reputation for a process that we always hear about one take, but this was deeper into the yeah, this psyche is... of it that we haven't. You, I haven't heard of this. This yeah. just makes me want to work with him more. Like now, yeah. that's my dream now. Like to have that experience. Mm. To have this happen, that's freaking amazing as an actor because this is as real as you can get, as spontaneous as you can get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I was saying that the part that scares the shit out of you, though, is that we all know the process, so we're used to hearing action cut. And without those two things, it's kind of weird to do it on your own. Even psychologically, you don't even know, like, oh, call my own shit? Okay, uh, all right. Um, right. And then, and then at the end, it's the pat on the back or the wave of the finger. Without either one of those existing, you are in the ether, son. Everything you just put on the camera, you're like, did that work? <laughs> like, no one said, good job, doesn't work, let's try it again. Nothing. And what's his like, I'm done? What does he, he say? He just goes, that's mm, enough. That's enough. <laughs> and then that's it. And you're like, all right. That's it. That is one of a kind, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is freaking amazing. Yeah. yeah, So this is a great segue into something I believe we talked about before we started rolling. And you just mentioned it by saying um, the 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 congrats. The what what is it called? Um, Oh yeah, the pat on the back. What is that? What is the feedback for that? Feedback for like feedback and sorry. The praise. Praise. The love on the way out. Praise the man, you really rocked love. it today, bro. Yes. Really what is it about that? But do that are we all insecure? Are we that, all insecure actors insecurity? that we need that? Because I know all three of us and all of us, we like it. Admit it. Well, everyone likes well, it. Yes, yeah. of course. We all like it. But what happens when you don't get praised it? Praised and don't. Do you start to second guess what you did? I I'm I would, it would, it would really depend on the project. Well, no, but, but Ray, so, really so this would. is great because you, you, you kind of talked about this a little bit with the issue with the, the lamp mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Director was not acknowledging you at all. Mm-hmm. And as you're telling the story, I'm thinking you're just doing a fucking great job. He doesn't need to address you. You just go back to the top, go back to the top, keep doing your thing. And what, what was it something that you, you needed to, you need to hear no, 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 like- no. I think that particular situation that would that was specific to that job. That job it was Antoine Fuqua's uh show for Apple and E1. It was a typical one hour pilot. 
Yeah, I think he turned it. It was ice, right? Yeah, Based ice. Based off a yeah, true story about like, cocaine or something in L.A.? Uh, no, Fuqua was directing this? Or yeah, no? directing it. Cool. So uh, it was Donald Sutherland, Ray Winston, Jeremy Sisto, Cam Giganay, Judy Shikoni, myself. So, yeah, it was... Freaking badass actors. It was, okay. yeah, pretty heavy shit. I remember right? auditioning yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, And here, here is Antoine Fuqua, and I'm, I'm assuming most of the listeners know that name. Of course, Training he, he's Day. He's just telling you, yo, yeah. go again, back to the top. If you guys don't know... Telling you, uh, and you were you you just you you needed to hear him say to you what it right. was. No, right? No, well, that episode with, with the lamp wasn't Antoine directing. What I was saying about that though was it was frustrating because the show at that point had gone through two other showrunners. Um, it turned into kind of a hands-off approach with the actors, where we were rewriting anything we wanted on set, and nobody was saying anything. Nice. You know what I mean? So it was like at that point, like, oh, what do you fucking want? What do you want? Like, what? Wait, you know what I mean? I'm like, who was rewriting? You guys were? The actors Oh, were. yeah, dude. What, was the show already like done? By, like, no, a- we were. Antoine, see, here's what happened. So he lets you guys do that. Yeah. So I went in and met with Antoine, and Robert Munich, executive produced that along with, he did gang related as well. That's how they brought me in, right? So I get in, I read for that shit, and I end up in Vancouver That's a couple days later. That's why you got later. that shit, because I read for that shit. I read for it too. <laughs> <laughs> we read, you know we what's all funny? read for that. You know what's funny is um, the day of the read when I went to go in and read for Antoine, Munich texted me, and he said, I'm on your side. And I hadn't heard from him, and I didn't even know he was on the show, because I have a habit of when I get material, I don't look at anything but the material. I don't look at when it starts, who's on it. I don't look at none. There's of no it. reason. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to be sweating all that shit. Yeah, you know. I just that's a good lesson you know. for people because yeah. then you start getting in your head. Also, remember, at some points, your auditions become your acting classes, and they become your life on set. So, quick point: don't Great. wait to get to set to work. Go to the audition and work. That's your first Frickin', day on the set. Thank you for saying that to everybody because auditioning is a craft in itself Bro. and you have to keep practicing it that's right that's the thing that's right man. and that's and it's your advice. first it's your first day on set you can't wait to bring the work shit when you get to the set you can't you got to take it to the room you take that shit to the room that's what they're gonna say it's fucking amazing this you know? is an entire entire separate episode we're gonna bring you back right we're, <laughs> we're gonna talk deeper about this other thing yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay so continue yeah so, so antoine okay so this show was kind of chaotic at this point and like literally the season finale jeremy sister and i are doing this there's this huge scene and it's jeremy right i'm a cop we went to high school together i know he killed our buddy i'm trying to get him to just fucking say it dude just get it off your chest and i'm gonna protect you do what we can so this huge scene where he's gushing and telling me all this bullshit. And in true Jeremy Sisto fashion, which is, he's a rare beast, okay? He's one of the very few actors I've ever worked with when you get to the set. He will say, why am I talking so much? Why, why am I doing all this bullshit? Why isn't he saying that? So he literally flipped it in the season finale on the director. He said, all season long, I've been gassing people up with lies. Why do I need to do more of that shit? He should be talking. And he goes, okay, so let's flip it around, right? What if you're talking? What are we talking about? I said, well, I need him to confess. Well, what do you want to do with that? And I said, okay, give me a couple seconds. I jumped out of the car and walked around. I came back to Jeremy and I said, what if we talk about some bullshit that happened in 96 about who you were in 96? You you protected me in 96. And I'm looking for that guy. Did Maybe he just didn't know right. his lines and he just didn't no, feel like No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Jeremy, like, I don't want to talk so much. Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy did this all the time. Or you can he tell would, when you watch his work, he's he's a special yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. So we he's ended good, up. Long he's story. A long story short, I, I admire his work. Yeah. Long story short, we ended up 
basically rewriting that entire four and a half page scene on the spot. It was ad libbed. It was <laughs> never hell? scripted. And they we let just, you do that. Yeah, we just for re- those of you again watching that never happens. You know. Like, there, yeah, it's yeah. the opposite. They're like, no, you missed the word. Redo it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and the, the reason why that was is because the very first table read we had in Vancouver, the was whole this still, crew. Was uh, still producer? Uh, yeah, he was a producer. Okay. okay there okay, you go, okay, people. Okay, okay. So, again, there's something else you guys don't know. If you're a producer, especially You have way more pull, right. Super, or if you're a series pool, yeah. regular, you still have a lot of pull yeah, in what yeah, you're yeah. doing, you know. But the very first table but read in front of... Right, he would have to deal with the writers, yeah, and you know, sorry, even the guest director would be in his ass for that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. I'm sorry, no, no, no. Um, but the very first table read, Ray Winston, Donald, everybody sitting at this table, and the execs from Apple and E1 are there, and everybody's clapping at the end of the read. And Antoine stands up and goes, "You see the script, you guys? He goes, this is a jump off. This is just a fucking idea. You take these characters and you do what you want with them." And he just put the script down on the table. So every day on set was like, well, what if we... And he's like, all right, let's shoot that. Let's try that. Let's do that. Wow. You have gotten some amazing experiences. Between the Clint Eastwood experience and this, as an actor, it's usually... Look, 90% of jobs when you go on set are usually very systematic. There's, yeah. a, there's a cookie-cutter approach yeah, yeah, to yeah. shooting in this in this town. Well, why? And it's, and Because I think most networks there, and producers are scared. They want to be safe. They don't, they don't. They're not as creative as they should be. A lot of it's copycat. Just yeah, what's but, successful but, before well, they do again? Exactly. So, for example, the Clint Eastwood idea. Everyone block scenes has the same terminology. Yeah. We know that we know the process so much. It's second nature. We don't have to think. This process, rewriting n- that never happens. Uh-huh. Because well, because if I'm sorry, let me go, just jump go, in. Yeah, please. Because typically there are multiple angles shot, so there has to be right. continuity. That, that's Done. a big reason. Oh, for that's, it. So, that's true. So if you do so a how did you guys do that with uh, well, you created one your take. It's a one. It's got to be. But one it take. was one camera, though, right? Yeah, it was one. So how did they pull it off and get all the angles they needed? We we did it. We shot it from the other side. We just had to remember what we said. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's on you. But as an actor, that I I think that's fucking fun. Right? It was great. Like well, fuck yeah, it's of like, course it's an actor. Dude, but that's as a like, producer, feel, as a fucking creator, you're like yo. I gotta the, oh, the editor is well, the editor oh is like stabbing himself. <laughs> fuck yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, guys. They literally. But it's funny you say that because every now and then we would go in to do ADR, and the editors would literally be like, "Can you just give us like on the out just the same? Just can you just? I don't care what you say. Just put your finger back up." There, just do that at the end. I can match something. I'm like, all right, all right. So, yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, to yeah, this day, yeah. uh, since we throw out more more jargon, uh, what does ADR stand for again? I don't even know. Digital, uh, digital, we don't, recording. Can, can you tell them dialogue though? recording? Another tell day rate. Another day rate. Yes. Yes. Oh my god, dude, that's aspiring. the best. Yo, you get paid yeah, yeah. the same rate. You know what's crazy is uh, on Ice Two, my very first day of working, I had a, a three and a half page scene with Ray Winston, right? And fucking Ray Winston, just a god, right? If you've not seen Sexy Beast, young actors out there, please go see the movie. Sexy Beast, get it on Netflix. It's an acting class. Um, but Ray Winston and I were doing a scene, and it was three pages in two different rooms, or three rooms, and Antoine wanted to do a one So he wanted to shoot this in one take with one camera. Problem is we went from a very dark office into the front of a diamond shop. So all the cases were bright, so light. So ICE stood for diamonds. For the diamonds. Right? It was about a, a family in Los Angeles that was Isn't it based off kind of a true story, I thought? Or no? They mm. said that. 
All right, I'm so you're sure. shooting this one? Yeah, so we're just shooting this scene, and uh, Antoine, this is his style of directing. So he says to me, hey, in that little gap where you're walking from the front door to the, to the counter, as I like how cold that is because nobody knows what's about to happen, he said, but maybe shake it up the other way. Maybe you're talking shit on the way in. I said, oh, okay, cool. So we go do the take, and the whole way from the door there, I'm just killing Ray Winston about his stupid fucking accent. And are you still eating porridge, baby boy? Talking to him about being British and all this shit, right? So he start, He looks at me and he goes, I said something at the very end. I said something by my abuelita made this food for you. And I throw some tamales on the counter. And he goes, I don't even know you was Mexican. I thought you was an Arab. Right? Did he say Mexican? Yeah, I didn't know you was Mexican. I thought you was an Arab. Right? That's what he says in the scene. So we do the scene, cut, and Antoine comes out and he goes, hey, I like that better. So from the door to the counter, kill him, get him again. I said, okay. Then he goes to Ray Winston, and he goes, when he gets to the counter, don't say shit. So he iced me out. So I literally had got to the counter and was waiting for him to come back, and he didn't say shit. So then I had to find my own way out. But that's what Antoine wanted. Dude, he to literally me, as an actor, this is, this is, your story is our dream. I don't like, like the cookie-cutter shit. I like always having to be on my toes and always like keep, you know, keep each other guessing. Because if you always have to rehearse and you do the same thing, it becomes robotic. Mm. But I love how you always are doing something different and you always have to be listening and always in the moment because that makes it more Yeah, but you can't use all of that. As actors, you we can. You know what I mean? You can you're, you're improv right. all day long. Yeah, we no, can. you can. You can. Right. You but can. like we talked about, you, the fucking editor is going to fucking shoot. Screen. Well, there's also a difference in between improv and like going further into the story improving or improving which is just taking the dialogue that's written and making it sound like you right correct that's so different. one line is you fucking eating your porridge the next line is fish and chips you said right, porridge right, 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 right. this is like right, Goldilocks right, right, and the three bears right, right, right. <laughs> right, right, right. eventually only can use one of those right you can only use one right. and after a certain yeah. while it's your job as an actor to understand when you can't ad lib anymore right once they mo- make the move inside with the camera and they start yeah. covering one of you you're done with all the but you hey I got an it, idea you <laughs> <laughs> you're done with that shit can I get more but you usually don't have a chance because there's budget Budget, there's time constraints. But why do you want yeah. one more? You want no, one even, more? So this is what yeah. this is what sounds like to be current. Is like it's not always even, about the more. more no, more. not even. No, I wasn't talking again. about one more. I'm talking about even doing it in you general. You can only do that with sex. Usually, like, just, <laughs> let's just do it again. Let's try this way. No, no, you just, just keep going. <laughs> it's not. It's not just one more. It's just keep going. So, yeah. dude, you. Could, it depends, right. man. It depends. I did a gig earlier this year with the uh, Schaefer brothers uh, that did um, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld. So they got a new comedy series coming out called... And Curb Your Enthusiasm is the epitome of improv. Bro. So this is called Bruise Brothers. Uh, and it's about two brothers that hate one another, two German brothers that hate each other that open up a brewery. Okay. Right, bruise like as in bruise, right? But they have they have no money, so they open up a brewery in Van Nuys, and they're between a motor uh, auto shop and a porn shop, (laughs) and they name their their brewery Rodman's. So everybody assumes it's a porn shop. So motherfuckers just keep walking in, going, "Hey, do you guys have that thirteen inch purple dildo, the double headed one with the studs on it?" He's like, "This is a brew house." Please tell me Dennis so, Rodman came in. No, no, no. But but the Schaefer brothers who do this, they do two cameras, uh, and they don't cut at all. So they leave walkies on the set near you, and if they like something, they want you to go back and keep that joke going. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. So once I figured out that they were like, go for it, go for it, oh, my God, dude. It was truly the best experience 
honestly is an actor I've ever had. And this that just was, happened. That's what we're question. talking about. It's just fucking improv. But, but it that's, that's what we do. It's not good for so the editor. Much. And all the people behind the scenes. Well, is that no. why? Is that why? Was, was that no, the because, reason? No, because it worked. Not, not because I got to, but because what I was doing was working with the other actors. And that in itself, you find a different validation, right? Because as a Latino in LA, my, all of my building blocks, everything I'm standing on has, is my own life and my own personal experience that I put into all the fucking homeboys I played. All of them. Right. After a while of 20 years of pulling experiences and emotions for myself, I'm to the point where I want to laugh, man. I'm getting tired of going to now the Now that you brought that up, I actually heavy, was going to go know? into that. But just for the your fans, because you have a lot of fans, and you have a lot of followers, and people love your work. I actually was going to get to that. Because we've been talking about your experiences on set and as an actor. But let's, can we hear, where did you grow up? Like, How'd you get into oh, the yeah, business? Yeah. Where'd you come from? Um, no, I'm from South LA. I was born in San Pedro, the Dro. Up yes. on Signal Hill. Yes, sir. Uh, right by the, Long Beach. Yeah, if you take the 110 all the way out till it spills out into the harbor area, that's San Pedro. For those of you who aren't from L.A., the 110 is a freeway that goes south from downtown, right south of Staples Center, mm -hmm. and takes you straight down to Long Beach and San Pedro. And San Pedro, right. So the, the neighborhood really consists of everybody that works at the docks and the naval yard. Mm -hmm. So it's longshoremen, people that are pulling long hours, 18 hours. So you got a lot of... Uh, there's Mexican, Samoan, Filipino, Black, Chinese, a bunch of different cultures that live down there. It's a it's a tough area, man. You know, you that whole area is really an intersection for three major gangs that pretty much run the port along with the mob. So, um, yeah, my mom's family we come from that side. My dad came from my dad's family came from Spain and Mexico by way of Vegas and then to L.A. Uh, and then when I was a kid, I was just fucking hyper. So my parents put me in everything they could. That went from Mexican ballet, you know, folklorico dancing. Uh, less, less Skittles, less Coca-Cola, bro. bro Unless you ate too much candy as a kid. Well, yeah, I was a latchkey too kid, much 7 man. I was a latchkey kid. My dad, was, wow. my dad was locked up in and out till I was 10 years old. My uh, mom, you know, raised my sister and I by herself with the help of the family. So a lot of times... I would come home because we were on welfare. I would ride my bike through the alleyways and look for bottles. And you could take the bottles to the store for 10 cents. Yeah. So if I could get eight or nine of them, I can get a piece of candy. <laughs> I used and a to do Coke that too or, as a kid. Take it to 7-Eleven, you, know, you, yeah. you can get the candy. So, yeah, my, my parents, we grew up down there. It was really, really rough, uh, very gang-oriented. Um, and then when I was 14 my, or 13, my parents decided to move us to Orange County without telling us. So, like, overnight, we went from... So we became white. Bro, I mean, scary. You would what talk about culture in, what city the city in Orange, of Orange off the 55. Oh, the city of Orange, yeah. Chapman Avenue. Dude, that actually is a very, that's where Chapman University is. It's very. Bro, I know. It's, it's a got very a liberal art. area it's that's like know, classic bro, and old and very white. But when you come from it's living, right by when you come from living, you know, we lived in, before we went to Orange County, we lived in nine houses, you know. So it's like I never stayed anywhere for any amount of time. Then I moved to OC and went to El Medina High School, and immediately I had to. Uh, they told me to take some electives, and I took pottery because somebody told me there's a bunch. You didn't of get a side job at Disneyland. There. Don't I most did. people no, no, no. in Orange County work I was, at Disneyland? Hold on, let me get there. I'll get there, there. too. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> You're gonna hate this story, but Disneyland don't sue me either when I tell you this. But um, uh, yeah, I got to Orange County. Was at this school. Um, went to Elmo, uh, hated the electives I was taking, and somebody said, why don't you take drama class? And I was like, all right. You know, I had danced my whole life, but I'd never been in a, like a drama class. So I went, and the very first day, they were doing emotional recalls. 
and I misunderstood her. What's I thought, emotional recall? An emotional recall is to to, to take a moment, uh, reflect back on an actual Remember moment when in your, your own life. Beat the shit out of you. Yes, yes, and what what that hand felt like. The sting. Or when that finger went in your butt. Hey, <laughs> that's a different kind of. That's a priest, I think. I don't know. Um, different father. Depends um, on what kind of yeah. church you grew up in. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I was in Orange County. Took the acting class. Did an emotional recall and thought because it's acting it's all fake so i just made up this fucking story on stage about my cousin being shot in front of me and i couldn't do anything about it and i was mm -hmm. all crying and shit on stage and the teacher came out afterwards and was like do you need to see a counselor and i was like why your cousin got shot i'm like you did They're like no he you just said he got shot i'm like what no that's fake right and she was like what you should be in this class and i'm like but it's just bullshitting and pretending and then the more i got into it it literally became cathartic because I came from South LA where nobody talks. There's no talking. It's posturing. Yeah. You could tell, I could tell you what I want you that's, to know. That's everywhere, bro. You know, that's everywhere. Yeah. But in, in, for He's us, from Brooklyn. So, so, you know, yeah, your hood was like that too, dude. So for me, it became cathartic when I got into acting class and anybody that leaned forward, it's the first time anybody wanted to listen to me because I was a fucking troubled kid. So everybody was always telling me to shut up. Shut up. Just fucking shut up. Go outside. Go outside. Shut up. Be quiet. Mm. You know? And then it was like, oh, you want to interchange? Oh, we're exchanging these emotions with each other. It was really cool. So that's how it started. And then I, I dipped out of high school about six months before graduation and took a professional job dancing for a, um, a artist on CBS Records. Moved up here to L.A. Was touring with him for a little while. That went on and off. I danced with a bunch of people. I was a choreographer. I was on tour with different people. I was out with Color Me Bad and um, worked with Patti LaBelle and Howard Hewitt. I forgot about this. You told me this in the. He's told me this, but I forgot yeah. the side of him. And my, a my, my, uh, I just reunited with Adam Shankman, who directed an episode of RuPaul's new show that I just did. And he and I, last I saw him. Can our listeners uh, Google this and find pictures of you? Oh yeah, yeah. You could look up, uh, look up Howard Hewitt music video, "Save Your Sex for Me." And you'll see me. I'm the center dancer with the long ass hair and shit. You'll see. Yeah. I don't know what my goals were back then, but. And he's wearing a um, loincloth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that, yeah. I, I, Adam, I assisted Adam when Millie Vanilli was making their comeback on Arsenio Hall to prove that they could sing. So that's the last time I saw Adam Shankman. That was one of my last dancing gigs. And then I took a break for a while. And But did they ever prove that they could sing? No, they couldn't sing. They were sweet guys, but they, no. So that's it. So then you grew. So you finished in Orange County, and you did that. Well, no, I came to LA uh, right after high school. I mean, yeah. I left six months before graduation. I bounced yeah. and just took a job with a. And uh, from LA, you're here now because that's. I've been right? here the whole time. And there we go. So that's that's what happened to him, and that's what we, we like to ever ask everybody who comes here. Like, they're everyone's got different trajectories, where they're from, their process, how they got to LA. We've had people go through Atlanta, mm. Ohio. Mm. San Diego, Northern California, Canada. We've had people come from everybody. I just came up the freeway. You got lucky. You didn't have to go far. Came up the freeway. But most people, they have, to go far, they have to go far and get to L.A. And so you were used to the city because you got to tell people, if you're, not, if you're, from, if you're living in Nebraska, Ohio, Iowa, or somebody, somewhere mm. else, L.A. is not an easy city to live in. If, mm -mm. I mean, you grew up in Southern California, so it's second nature. Mm-hmm. I'm from Northern California, and even when I got to L.A., I'm California born and bred, first generation. But even L.A. was like, damn, hold on a second. You just slapped me in the face. Let me let me slap back for a second mm. and fight you. 
it took me like a good year just to understand the city. The city in general is a tough city. Did you have that problem being from? When did you move here from Brooklyn? I'm here at 23, okay, 23. Okay, so yeah. This is your, this is your second home now, yeah. bro. For sure. For sure. It's yeah. first home, first right? Home, yeah. I mean, so, but the like thing that? is, is you know, you're from another big city, but people from smaller cities, oh, man, yeah. how do we tell them the first, I always tell, because uh, I teach actors all the time and coach them, I always tell them, get get used to the city first before you even worry about everything else. I've always felt like LA is not one city. Like it's, no, man. I think it's true. Not it's, an, it. it's an energy. It's a freaking <laughs> monster, but you got to get used to the entertainment. Dude, uh, uh, Borderline of Orange County is considered, you know, L.A. So, exactly, yeah, but, but you have to understand you know? how to how to find your niche. First, here. first, let me let me just say this: don't don't uh, if you're from a small town and you're used to driving 20 miles to your friend's house in 15 minutes, that shit ain't gonna happen here. <laughs> so it takes uh, that long. Let to me get just tell you, my here. my wife, yeah. my wife, when she moved from Connecticut, she looked at a map. She's from a beach community in Connecticut. Uh, and she said, oh, I'm going to live by the water. So she looked at a map, and she goes, ooh, Newport Beach. That's only 50 miles from L.A. That's an easy drive. I was like, mm-hmm, two hours later. So she ended up, she only lived in O.C. for, I think, the first nine months she was here, and then she couldn't take the traffic anymore. So, so talk about that. Did you guys meet in O.C.? How long? You- no. Uh, we met working at Morton's Restaurant. Give a, give, give a shout-out to her name and everything. To my, to my wife, at Ashley Gallegos. Yes, and, and I, 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 I love her so much. She's an amazing woman. She's the real deal. She I, lo- I love her. I mean, I've met her many deal, times, and man. she's like the dream wife. And How are you married? They're an ama- yeah. amazing couple. Uh, we've been together going on 15 years. Uh, we've been married almost Sweet. six years. Kiddos? Can you tell the purse no, story, no. though, or no? Because to me... <laughs> Oh, different the culture clash. Yeah, when we when I first took her to go meet my this, boys. This is the only reason I'm asking this is yeah. because this has made a profound effect on me. Because every time that happens to me, I have to think twice, and I always think of you. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I can't do it now. The first so, story. So please. anyway, in our family, in our family, uh, you know, we're La- we're Latino, we're mixed Mexican, Puerto Rican, Spanish, <laughs> Honduran. My uncles, every man in my family has one rule they hold on to, and that is that they will not hold their wife's purse. There is no purse holding. Don't try to hand it to them. Don't do that. Okay. So from the time I was a kid, my dad always told me, don't hold anybody's purse, but buy them. Right? So I said, okay. So when Ashley and I first got together, it took her to go meet the boys and went this. to sushi. Was this, was this the emotional uh, Dude, you gotta hear this. This, is, this, is, this is when you start going, uh-oh, is this going to work? Um, Dude, you got to hear yeah. this. this is okay, okay. Hey, this is Kirk Caceres. Thanks for hanging with us on episode two of our three-part series with actor Ray Gallegos on the podcast, What's Your Name Again? Check us out tomorrow for the final episode of this three-part series when Ray talks about how to make marriage work with another actor in the family, the humility it took to wait tables on Martin Lawrence after they just finished shooting film together for six weeks, and should a man hold his woman's purse. Check us out tomorrow in the final episode of El Rey on the podcast, What's Your Name Again? Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.